started a journey a couple weeks ago considering what a grace-driven life looks like and why such a life is significant, why you would want to live a grace-driven life. Well, we've been painting a biblical portrait of that. I'm not going to create ever uh, something to tell you. I'm going to get it from his word. And that's what we've been doing. We've been looking at what does the Bible, how does the Bible describe a grace-driven life and why we would even want to live such a life in the first place. Well, two weeks ago, we started with the fact that you and I cannot possibly, and please hear this, you cannot possibly live a grace-driven life, at least consistently, on your own strength, in your own power. You have to, first of all, each of us have to have an encounter with the grace of Christ on a personal basis. Now, what does that mean? That means you come to a place where you recognize, as John chapter 1 says, he is the word become flesh. He is God that became like us to know us. And that means that you have come to realize who Jesus Christ is, who he claimed to be, and you have placed your faith in him. Much like those that have made a profession this morning through baptism, they have made that decision. But it also means if you're going to live a grace-driven life, you and I, my friend, have to choose to follow him each new day. It's not about professing in one and done. It is about following him each new day of your life. That gives you and I the inspiration, the basis, the ability, the foundation, if you will, to live a grace-driven life. Well, last week we looked at the fact that when you truly encounter Christ on that kind of level, that kind of genuine personal level, you will be free. Free from what? Yourself. According to God's word, very clear, there's this old nature within each of us that we're born with that enslaves us, that rules us. And we have no hope until Christ came and freed us from the old self and not only freed us, but replaced our old self with our new self. So the, in essence, what we're trying to get at last week is that a grace-driven life changes you from the inside out over time in very real life ways. He transforms you. Well, today I want you and I to consider not just the fact that we are freed by grace, but this morning I want you and I to look at the fact that we are impacted by grace, much like the story you just heard just a moment ago. You see, when you're impacted by grace, it not only changes you, as we're going to see this morning, it changes your relationships with others. It not only has an impact on you on a personal basis, but that change, that impact, that grace will begin to seep out, if I can put it that way. It will begin to have a ripple effect in your friendships, your marriage, your relationships with people. And what I want us to look at in Romans chapter 14, that's where we will begin this morning, verse 1. I want you to see two things in terms of our relationships with one another if we are living a grace-driven life. What a grace-driven life refuses to do and then, in turn, what a grace-driven life chooses to do. Let's look at what Paul says to the church of Rome, to the believers of that day. He says, verse 14, Accept one another, one whose faith is weak. That means a faith that is not mature yet. It is growing. It is new. So accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters then he says, he gives us an example. He says, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, 
but another whose faith is weak is still growing, eats only vegetables. They're vegetarians, so to speak. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, that is, eat everything. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them, as in them both, regardless of their opinions. Verse 4, he says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now, that is much more than about food. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But I want you to look at verse 19. This is where we're going to land this morning. Paul goes on to describe and call us not to be judging one another in our friendships, in our relationships. And he lands on this, verse 19. He says, let us therefore, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace. He's talking about within our relationships and to mutual edification. Well, let's start with what a grace-driven life refuses to do. A grace-driven life, I hope you'll hear this because this, if this doesn't apply today, I don't know what does. A grace-driven life refuses to major on minor things. Hello, do we tend to major on minor things today? Look at social media for five seconds and you'll see that alone that we're destroying relationships over things that are only not that big a deal in the big picture. I'll come back to that in a moment. But look at what Paul says, verse 1. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak. And it doesn't mean they're a weak person. What that means is they are growing. We all had new faith at one time or another if you're a believer, right? We all have to be discipled and to grow and choose to grow. And that's what he's talking about. These are folks that have not yet grown and the background that you need to understand about these verses, which is very relevant, is that Paul is speaking to the church of Rome in his day. And in the church of Rome, it was primarily Gentiles coming out of a pagan Greco-Roman culture that were coming to faith in Christ. And in that case, they used meat or eating and festivals for all kinds of cult cult practices, including orgies and all kinds of junk that is obviously destructive and wrong. And they associated eating the meat with that past life. And they had not yet gotten to a place in their faith to distinguish between what is simply meat or some sort of sustenance in the past of their life. And Paul, you know what he says? He says, accept them. Now, now stay, stay with me just for a moment. That word accept, the form of the word is just as important as the meaning of the word. The meaning, of course, means don't push people away just because they arrive at a different opinion on minor things. Now, the form of the word is a command. In other words, Paul is saying to the believers that are mature, especially those who are growing in their faith, he is saying this is not a suggestion this is something you need to be doing in your relationships if you're going to live a grace-driven life. If Christ within you is going to make a difference in your friendships and your relationships, and he's going to help you avoid and refuse to major on minor things in life and destroy your friendships in the process, you've got to learn to accept this is a command. And it also, you've heard me talk about this before, is in the middle voice. Why is that significant? Because this is a choice. I can't, I can't guilt you into this, my friend. 
your grandpa, your grandma, your mother, your dad, nobody can guilt you into this. You've got to make a choice. Am I going to live a grace-driven life or not? Because if I do, I will quit getting drawn in to debates about things that don't actually matter. Is that making sense? We, we are today destroying, this is all free, we're destroying our friendships over the dumbest of things today. The White House changes hands every four years. Are we going to argue every stinking four years over this and destroy friendships over who you vote for, who you don't? I don't care. Uh, ultimately, if you want to have a conversation about politics, I've got beliefs. I've got my, my principles and things I vote on, and I try to vote from a biblical worldview. But I pray that I would not destroy my friendship with my family or my friends, anybody that I have a relationship with, over who you voted for. Come on. Enough is enough. And even believers are getting drawn into what Satan uses to divide us. It is insane and stupid, if I can be so blunt. And he says, accept one another. Understand what is really major and core and significant and what is not. And distinguish between the two. And he says, if your faith is genuine, if you're living a grace-driven life, you will learn to accept. And look at the second part. He says, accept one another whose faith is weak. They come to a different place in opinion than you do. And that is all right. He says, without quarreling over, look at it close, disputable matters. Now, that phrase is very important because that phrase, disputable matters, refers to this internal processing and reasoning that we all do and we come to an opinion. And he comes down to saying, don't argue over opinion. There is a difference between core truth that there is no negotiation about. Jesus is who he claimed to be, right? There are foundational truths that we live by and we're not going to compromise. I'm not going to compromise on, but there are plenty of other things that are just opinion. I know that most of us, myself included, love to live in a black and white world, right? But sometimes it's gray. And sometimes we're just going to arrive at different places, even as believers, on minor things. I hope I'm getting through. Because there's too many friendships and relationships not living out of grace, it's living out of law, if you get down to it. And God's word says, accept one another whose faith is weak. It is okay, they are growing. They may come to a different opinion at some point. They may make a different choice at some point. But at this point, they're not, and it is okay. It is okay for them to, to like red when you like blue. Don't debate it. Don't argue over it. They like red, you like blue. So what? He is saying don't make everything a major thing. We are too busy in this culture making mountains out of mohills. Now, there's big things to talk about. Believe me, I'm not ignoring big things in our culture today to talk about and deal with and even stand up. I'm not suggesting that we don't stand up for anything. But what I am suggesting is not everything's worth standing up to. Not everything is worth debating and arguing about. Hello? There's churches that have split over where you put the coat rack. Really? There are literally churches that have split over where you put the, where you put the coat rack. Isn't enough enough? And we can choose differently according to God's word. Now look at what he does next. He addresses both the mature and the immature, those that are growing in their faith versus those that are young in their faith in Christ. And he says one person's faith allows them to eat anything. That is the mature people that realize there's not a connection between meat and the past Greco-Roman culture and all that went with it. They, they understand that. They have come to that conclusion and get that their conscience is okay to eat meat and whose faith is weak and they only eat vegetables. They're probably healthier, not to... 
nothing to say less, but they, that's just where they are, and it's okay. But then look at what he says. Look at verse 3 because it's very important. And he calls on both of these groups to a challenge, to a truth, to a principle. And he says, the one who eats everything, those who are mature in their faith, and you realize there's not a connection between meat and the past, so to speak, here. And he says, do must not treat with contempt those who do not. In other words, those who do not come to the same conclusion. Those who do not come to the same opinion. He says, do not treat them with contempt. Now, you know what contempt means. I mean, we get, have a general idea. What it means here in the New Testament specifically is he is telling us, do not see somebody as totally worthless because that's what that term means in the New Testament. It means to view somebody as a less than something. It's usually looking down your nose at them. I'm material, you're not, you child. And it's, it's looking at them, not in grace, not in love, but with what? Contempt. You know what Paul says? Stop it. Stop it. Stop making mountains out of mohills already and quit having these arguments over the dumbest of things. Save conversations for things that really matter. And he says, quit looking at one another with contempt. Now, who's he talking to, by the way, FYI? He's talking about the church. He said, about the body of Christ. So evidently, some of the believers were beginning to look at other believers with what? Contempt. And Paul is calling them out and saying, stop. A grace-driven life is not lived this way. This is not how this works. And then he goes on to say, he addresses the immature believers as well. He says, verse 3, for the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not eat. They come to a different conclusion. The one who does not eat everything, they eat vegetables only, must not, look at the word, they must not what? They must not judge. And that word judge means to separate. It means to isolate yourself from. It means to condemn. And the context here and throughout the New Testament is a person that is playing God. You're making judgments. You're attempting to make judgments and you're acting on it. You're making judgments about another person that you should never make. According to the Bible, God is God. The job's taken and you and I are not qualified. So quit acting like you're qualified. Your resume does not add up. You are not qualified for that job. God is God. And let him judge people's hearts. Let him deal with people. He knows how to do that. And so a grace-driven life will cause us, number one is expressed, if you will, by the choice to understand what is not worth debating. This is, this is not my notes. I'm just going to share it. At least once that I can remember, I allowed myself to get drawn into this stupid argument on social media of all places, right in front of God and the world, with somebody I love dearly. Now, fortunately, our relationship didn't stop. We were able to, to fix it. But that was a dumb, I look back on that and I think that was just stupid. And it drew me in and we got into this just social and everybody, you know, you know how it works. Everybody kind of piles on or chimes in. Everybody, it's just craziness. And it gets you nowhere. We've got to get to a place as a believer if we're going to live a grace-driven life to understand and distinguish between what's worth the conversation and even a disagreement and working through that and what is not. And that's what Paul is talking about. 
So a grace-driven life will understand what is not worth debating, but it also will understand that we all come from different places. When somebody comes to a conclusion, there's probably a reason. When somebody acts and reacts like they do, there's probably a reason. When somebody's immature, you were immature at one time too. We've all got to be allowed the space. That's what grace is. The space and time to grow. And we ought to be encouraging that growth. So in other words, when it comes to a healthy body, there is room for a diversity of views on minor things, on things that amount to opinions. I like blue, you like gray, or whatever it is. And there is a a diversity, if you haven't figured this out, there's a diversity of personalities in every church, like it or not. Here's a biblical principle, get over it. Embrace it. God will use that diversity to bless your life. If you and I are going to go around insisting everybody think just like I do, you're going to live in a very small world. You're going to miss out on what God can do. I'm I'm really convinced of that. What he can do through other people that are a little bit different from you, come from a different background than you, and even maybe have different opinions from you. You know what the Bible says? You can actually love people with different opinions. Big shocker, huh? If you're from Mars and you came to this planet and you looked at social media and just the media in general, you would not come to that conclusion. But according to God's word, a grace-driven life, you can actually love people that didn't vote for the same person you did. Or fill in the blank. It is okay. We can love each other anyway. Isn't that wonderful to hear? That we don't have to go around destroying relationships over dumb things. And that's what a grace-driven life will lead to and help you understand. Now look at verse 4, and I'll move on and wrap it up with verse 19. What we refuse to do is get drawn in to things that don't matter, ultimately. The minor things, the mohills that can become mountains. And then he addresses the spiritual insight that is needed for both mature and immature, for those that are contempting one another as well as judging one another. Verse 4, he says, "He, who, who are you to judge? That's a great question, isn't it? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? He's talking about God's servant. We're all God's servants, right? If we're a believer, we're a follower of Christ, we are his servant. And he's saying, who are you to judge the servant of Christ? But then he goes on to say, there is room for judgment, and that is in line with the master. To their master, servants stand or fall. Stand means to be in agreement with, living in agreement with, being in alignment with Christ in this case. And to fall means you're living outside of his will. But you know what Paul concludes? The Lord will be able to make them, whoever them is, stand. In other words, it's God's business. Let God deal with that person how God's going to deal with that person, how Christ knows to deal with the person. Quit, Quit trying to play God. And so Paul is telling both of them, you're, you're being tempted to play God in other people's life. When you're looking at people down your nose at them because they're immature in this case, they're not where you are, they've not grown yet, quit doing that. And then number two, don't judge. Be careful about trying to play God in people's lives. I like how Charles Swindoll depicts in his book, The Grace Awakening. Again, a good book if you've not read it. He, he depicts the, <clears throat> the grace-driven life in this way. <clears throat> he says, the one, who, one of the marks of maturity is the ability to disagree without being disagreeable. 
It takes grace. In fact, handling disagreements with tact is one of the crowning achievements of grace. He's exactly right. He just told us what Paul said thousands of years ago. Now let's look at verse 19, and I'll wrap it up with this. Let's look at what we are to do. God's word's not just about what you don't do, it's about what you do do. Bad grammar, I know. It's about what we're to be involved in, what are our priorities in life. And he goes through, it, the, the not judging one another was so important that he spent verses 5 through 18 talking about that one topic. And then he arrives and he lands the plane on verse 19. Look at this. If you've been napping, wake up for a moment, poke your neighbor, whatever it takes. Look at this. Look at what grace will help you choose to do. He says, let us, that is believers, mature and immature, whether you like red or brown or whatever the thing is, whoever you are as followers of Christ, let us therefore, what does that mean? Here is the application. Here's what all this means. Here's what is really important in life. And what does he say? And he's talking about the relationships with one another. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to what? Peace. Now stay with me. That's a great word I'm going to look at in just a moment. He says, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace but not only that look the phrase the action means let us do whatever it takes to not only have peace in our relationships but have mutual edification both of those that verb applies to both of those words you see this this verse is so important i've dedicated a whole screen to this one verse number one he's saying grace inspires peace in our relationships and the first thing we need to understand in this context is that when there really is grace-driven peace in our relationships, according to God's word, the relationships is you will experience a blessing. In other words, God will bless you through your friendships. God will bless you through your marriage. I'm not saying perfection. I'm talking about consistency. Nobody's perfect. We've had that conversation. So get over that. We're not talking perfect, but we, there is a health. You know what consistent means. And so when that peace is there, when that grace-driven peace is involved in our friendships, our relationships together will be a blessing and not a curse. There'll be something that means something to you that is very significant. God will bless you through these relationships. Now, now stay with me. This is what this word means in this context, especially the word peace. It refers to having, being safe from rage and havoc. What better two words to describe our world today than rage and havoc? Just look at school board meetings of all places. It's like a bar fight today. Look at any number of things in our culture right now. It is nuts. And what, what better description of our world right now, in my view, is rage and havoc. And what God's Word says is that when you and I live a grace-driven life, we truly commit one day at a time to follow where He leads. It will create a safe place away from the rage and havoc. It won't create the rage and havoc. So this is not a point of condemnation, but what I would say to you if you're a follower of Christ and your relationships consistently exhibit rage and havoc, there is a problem. You are not following Christ. And you need to really ask God to convict you to do the work of overcoming whatever the problem is. Because the Bible I read says there will be peace. 
The Bible I read says in our friendships, not perfectly, but consistently, there will be a safe place from the rage and the havoc of the world. This ought to be a place where people come and they have a safe place away from the rage and havoc of the world. Not create another version of it within the body of Christ. Paul further describes a grace-driven life in this way in this very book, in the book of Romans and Acts, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse 6, when he says, the mind that is your thinking governed by the flesh is death. That means if you think outside of Christ, you don't take on the mind of Christ, you don't follow the truth that Christ reveals, it will end up being death. It will be a living death in your life and in your relationships. He says the mind governed by the flesh is death, but here's a better way. The mind governed, inspired by the Spirit. That is God's Spirit is what? Life and what? Peace. Life as God has it, and a safety from rage and havoc, peace. That's what the promise is for a grace-driven life. Number two, chapter 12, verse 18. Many of you have seen this verse. He says, if it is possible, talking about your relationships, as far as it depends on you, live at what? Peace with everyone. Now look at the phrase, as far as it depends on you. You see, God's word does not hold me responsible for how you respond. He holds me responsible for how I respond. And I can't control the other person. I can seek peace in my friendship or my relationship or my marriage, whatever it is. I only control me, right? And that's what God's word says. You have a choice. You can be a part of the peace or you can be a part of the rage and the havoc. Which are you going to live by? A grace-driven life ends up in peace. It brings peace. But number two, he says grace causes growth in our relationships. You see, that word edification is an architectural firm, firm, architectural term. It's not, there's not an architect firm in the New Testament times. There's architectural term, and it, it comes from that kind of an idea where somebody designs something to help it be solid and to build something up. And that's what the word picture is. It's building something into a solid structure. So our relationships ought to be building one another up, not tearing each other down. Doesn't mean you don't have conflict, by the way. It just means you do conflict by grace. And even in the conflict, you can build up when we do it right. When we do it based on God's word. There's a neighbor of my mother's in Dallas, and that's the reason I wouldn't even share the story because I don't think you'll know this guy. But he's an eclectic guy. I've, I've only run across him, met him once, but I had visited my mom and in the backyard, right over her fence, there's the Tower of Babel. I have no idea what this guy's building. But he's, it's built this two-story looking thing in his backyard over her, her fence. You can see it as clear as day. And a guy that was working on my sister's house, which, which she lives right next door, looked at that and said, that thing's gonna come down at some point. Because somebody who knew what it means to build something solid was looking at it. Whereas evidently this gentleman does not. My mom doesn't go in the backyard much, so I'm not overly concerned that the Tower of Babel will fall on her. But nonetheless, the difference between that and what God's word says is that you and I, Christ will build in our friendships 
something that is solid and genuine and real. That's when we choose the grace-driven life, though, right? And quit contenting, I know that's a created word, and judging, and instead choose grace. Choose the power of grace. I want you to see, just for about a minute, the end of or part of Andreas's testimony. Watch this. And I, I absolutely can't wait for that moment when I'm in front of him and I can just bow before him and just worship him constantly. Uh, it's hard in this world to do it sometimes. It's very hard and sometimes you just don't feel the energies or anything in you to do it. But when I think of that moment when I'm in front of him, that pushes me to continue as well and gives me the strength and the energy to continue fighting in this world, to continue growing, to continue loving everything that I experienced, the good and the bad, just continue loving it because at the end, Jesus is gonna make it happen for a benefit for you and for others around you. And I have experienced that in my life, and not just in the few things I told now, many, many, many other things too, and I keep experiencing consistently. So here's the bottom line. It, this is a pretty straightforward message today. It's not complicated. But the bottom line is this. When you and I choose, truly, one day at a time, choose a grace-driven life, it will not only impact you, but it's going to change your relationships. It's going to change the very foundation upon which your relationships are built and a completely different result. So the question is always, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've encountered Christ, what are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to live a grace-driven life or not? Pray with me, if you will. Father, as we sit just for a moment in your presence and seek to hear your voice, I pray that you're speaking to each of us now. And Father, in whatever way we have had this propensity to get drawn into divisiveness, to get drawn into majoring on minor things in life and distracted from what matters, Father, forgive us. Correct us, help us see that that's not the path you called us to. Father, I pray that you will give each of us, as we follow you together, that you will give each of us the ability to see what really matters in life and not get distracted by what doesn't, the minor things of life. Father, I pray that our relationships with one another our marriages, our friendships will become stronger because we're choosing to be grace-driven in everything. We're choosing to trust your word and the truth you reveal over the noise that we're constantly hearing around us in our world today. Father, I pray that our lives will be changed first and our relationships will experience what grace can do. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.